may be seated. Well, good morning again, and I would like to uh, just take a quick moment and recognize that uh, Bob, Patty, Al, it is really good to see you guys again. It is really good to see you guys. We've been praying for you guys like crazy and thankful that God in his mercy has allowed you guys to be able to return with health, and, and we are thankful for that. So thank you for joining us this Sunday. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we're going to be picking it up in verse 16. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And if you're using one of those black pew Bibles sitting around the room, it's going to be on page 835. 835. Well, as many of you know, over the past several weeks, we have been walking through a sermon series on Sunday mornings called The Church. The Church. Where we are just taking a focused approach to ask ourselves, what are the characteristics that make up Carson Valley Bible Church? And more importantly, are those characteristics lined up to what the Bible actually teaches a church to be about? And so we've been walking through these, these different uh, uh, foundational aspects of who we are as a church. And today, uh, we are going to be looking at the mission of the church. The mission of the church. Does God, does his word actually lay out what a church is primarily called to do as a church? You know, because we've been looking at some of the things that will uh, be a part of the church. But at the end of the day, is the church doing what it's called to do? Is the end result leading to what the mission of the church is? Are all the things that we're doing with Bible authority, preaching, membership, leadership, are they actually leading to what this church is called to be about? The mission of the church. As we've been asking that question, asking that question about what does God say about this? And what does he say about the, the mission of the church? Because here we are again. Because we have to ask ourselves if we actually believe, right, that God wrote a book, which we, we believe that. God wrote this book, the Holy Bible, you know, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he, as he worked through human authors, revealing that salvation from sin and death can only be found in the personal work of Jesus. If we believe that God has recorded that for all of human history to know and understand and I think for us, we need to submit under that and ask, okay, when it comes to the mission of the church, what does the Word of God say there? What does the Word of God say to that very important piece? And as I'm going to explain shortly, I think the mission of the church is so intertwined with the worship of the church that what you worship will always lead to your mission, to your mission as a church. And I believe that all of life is about worship. Uh, both Christian and non-Christian, we all make decisions um, about what we're going to worship, what we're going to give our time to, what we're going to find our value in, you know, what we're going to sacrifice for or give financially to or spend time around or time in is, is very indicative of what we worship as human beings. And so for us as the church is, does our worship reflect our mission, or is our mission driving out of what we actually worship? And so I think we, we have to evaluate this. And here's where I, I want to just be 
uh, specific to us as a church. Because I think, in just my, my, my humble experiences, more uh, maybe theologically conservative churches like ours, I would put ourselves in that camp, I would say the mission of the church, I think, is one of the greatest ways or greatest dangers for us to drift from. Even though we are very capable of conceding on and everything we've talked about the last couple of weeks. We're, we're obviously, we're praying that we never do. But churches have, have conceded on Bible authority, have conceded about leadership, conceded about membership, about preaching, all those things that we've talked about. And, and we will actively pursue and fight for those things to be characters of this church. But I think for, for a church like ours, usually the first place to drift is when it comes to the mission of God. When it comes to the mission of God. And that's why I think it's very important for us to ask ourselves, are we truly participating in the mission of God or are we just ascribing the mission theologically but not actually practically? And I'll explain that in a moment. So what is the mission of the church, right? Talking about this, what is it? Is it feeding the poor? Is it bringing cultural change to our nation? Is it ending racism? Is it bleeding, uh, leading to uh, basically some kind of political uh, force or political policies? Is that the mission of the church? No, I don't think so. I think those could potentially be an effect of people actually living out the mission of church, but it is not the mission of the church. The church has a very explicit call, and that is what we see in the Gospel of Matthew, what we're going to look at in just a moment. In Matthew 28, where Jesus, before his ascension, gives the church its orders, its mission. This is what I want you to be about as a people, as a church. But I'm going to go ahead and stop there before we actually look at the passage. Because you guys know this about me, is I want to pray. I want to pray one more time. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for our kids. And as I'm doing that, I would ask and plead with you, please pray for me. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be with us, be with me, and that we would hear and see exactly what God has for us this morning. So please join me in prayer, and then we'll look at the text. Well, Father, once again, I just want to come before you because you are the, the almighty, all-holy, powerful God. And that anything in which I talk about this morning, anything in which I desire to happen can only happen through you. Through you moving. Through, through you convicting. Through you illuminating. Through you uh, allowing uh, every single person in this room, and even by God's grace, those who are listening online, to be able to, to see uh, just the, the impact that the mission of the church has on every single believer. And God, we so desperately want to be a church that not only knows the mission, but participates in the mission. God, I also pray for our kids this morning. Uh, I pray for our teachers as, the, as they lead them and just understanding the promises of God as they're walking through the Old Testament. Uh, what a joy it is that, God, that you've sent all these little disciples in, into our midst. So maybe uh, just be faithful to teach them. And I thank you for those faithful teachers that we have. And God, I pray all of this under your mighty name. Amen. Amen. 
All right, so Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to start in verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter, verse 20. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Okay, so what we just read, church, I know many of you are probably familiar with this passage, but for those who aren't, what we're picking up is after Jesus' resurrection. Um, he's, already, he's already resurrected from the grave. He's been hanging out with the disciples for a number of days. And he calls the disciples up onto a mountain to give them his parting words, his parting call, his mission that he wants them to carry on as he goes back to his throne in heaven. And as I, I pointed out, I think earlier, that this passage is widely known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, even though those words are not particularly in the text, what comes out of it is pretty obvious, that Jesus is commissioning these disciples, and I think by us today, of what we are to be about as a church. Not necessarily just as individual Christians. Individual Christians, we're called to do a lot of things, but as a body, as a group of sent ones, what are we called to do? And I think this passage lays that out particularly in verses 19 through 20. But before we actually look at what the call, that mission is, I think what Jesus said and what uh, basically Matthew records here is incredibly important for us to look at before we look at those instructions. So go ahead, if you have those Bibles, look at verse 17. Let me show you this. Thing. So they're up on the mountain, and it says, When they saw him, they did what? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. So when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. And I don't want you guys to read quickly through that. Because remember, everything in which these, these men had gone through, right? They had been disciples of Jesus for three years. But at the cross, at the arrest of Jesus and then the preceding cross, they had deserted him. They had left Jesus. They thought they didn't want anything to do with him. They thought that it was up. Jesus is not who they thought he was. And so they left him. And, but even after the resurrection, after Jesus uh, conquers Satan, sin, and death, they're still a little bit skeptical. We read that in the preceding verses. But yet, here they are worshiping Jesus. And you know why that is, church? It's because they finally realized, and by God's grace they realized, that he is not just a maybe moral teacher or a revolutionist, but he's what? He's God. He's a God. And he's not just a God who's indifferent to them, but he's a God who has laid down his life for them. That makes all the difference in the world when you start to understand that Jesus is the God who's the creator of all things. And what, God has, what Jesus has used with his divinity is by laying down his life on the cross, by bearing the penalty of sin that you occurred. That you deserved. That Jesus willingly took that to a Roman cross. And by the way, if you're not a Christian this morning, or you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, or maybe you're not quite sure where you're at, one, this is a safe place for you to come investigate. 
But I want to encourage you that you got to start with understanding who Jesus is. Or everything else that we do here will not make any sense to you. It won't. But when you start to, and here's my plea to you, maybe just take a moment, even today, and start thinking through, is Jesus who he said he was? Who he, who he is? He is alive. And I would say, and, here's my, and this is really important, especially if you're not a Christian, is if you believe, if you, if you believe that you are, that you have sin in any way, short or form, and, that, and by sin, it's just, it's falling short of perfection. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. If you've sinned in any way, the Bible is pretty clear on this, is that the wage of that sin, the due uh, penalty for that sin is death. And if you were to die today in that sin, you would forever pay for that sin in hell. In hell. In an eternal punishment. But you know why the Bible is more than just that? Because that is what the Bible teaches, but it's not where the story ends. That's where Jesus comes in, knowing that all of us, this is our destiny outside of Christ. And so I don't want you to die in your sins today. I want you to turn from your sin and trust in the only one that has actually paid for your sins for you. Turn and trust in him. Or none of this will make sense. None of this, what we do as a church will make sense. See, because we're not, we're not trying to do anything to get God to love us or to save us. Everything in which I'm talking about today is because God has already gotten up on a cross and bared the penalty for our sin. And so the mission of God is out of response to what God has already done. What a gift that is. We're not sitting here and like, I hope we do enough that maybe God will like us. Maybe God will save us. No, we have that in Christ already. Now we're free to actually participate in the mission of God. But let's go back to the text. Look at verse 17 again. So they worshiped him because he's God. But it also says what? But some doubted. But some doubted. Church, do you know that worship and doubt can coexist in the same sentence? The same aspect of your life? And this is good news for us, right? It's because even though and I think we're a lot like the disciples in this way, even though we have seen God do miraculous things in our life, right? We've seen him answer prayers. We've seen him change lives. Yet there comes times in a Christian's life where you tend to doubt. You tend to doubt. Is, does God still care? Yeah, he does. Or maybe you doubt. Maybe you just wrestle with the implications of the resurrection. Maybe you're wrestling with the implications of Jesus is actually who he says he is. And he's everything in which we see in the Bible. What impact is that going to have in my life? I tend to wrestle with that. If I actually believe what I say I believe, it's going to monumentally change my life forever. And I can never be the same. Now, I don't know if that's a doubt or not. I don't know exactly what, you know, what he's getting at here. But I certainly know I still wrestle with the implications of the resurrected Christ. Not in a, do I believe it exists? Not necessarily that. But in a, have I fully understood what this means? Have I fully understood what this means for my life? Sometimes I, I, I think through that. And so if you find yourself as being a Christian, but still find yourself maybe doubting on certain days, wrestling with that, guess what? You are in good company. 
you are in good company and you are welcome here. And you are certainly welcome in the presence of Jesus, according to this text. So they doubted. So they doubted. But what does Jesus do with their doubt? Because Jesus knew that they were doubting in this moment. What does he do? Does he berate them? Does he scold them? Does he scoff at them? How dare you? Look at me. Like, I still have the piercings from the cross. How could you possibly be doubting in this moment? Does Jesus do that? Does he belittle their doubt? No, not at all. Look at what he actually does, though. Look at verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what does Jesus do with doubt? He trumps it with himself. He says, I know where you're at, but let me remind you of who I am. Let me remind you of who I am. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So church, how much authority does Jesus have? He has all of it. He has all of it. Right? Any place that you could possibly think of, all of heaven, all of earth, Jesus is saying, oh yeah, that all belongs to me. Everything which goes along in those two realms, that belongs to me. I have authority there. And because of that, I think he has authority in our lives. I think that's why Jesus is pointing this out. Because he knows what he's about to ask them to go do. And the only way, church, the only way that any person would remotely feel like they could do what verses 19 through 20 actually say is if you believe that it comes from the one who has all authority in the world. All authority, and it does. And it does. Because you can't rely on yourself. Jesus is not saying, hey, I know you're doubting, but don't forget where, what you have to offer. He doesn't say, look inside yourself. Because what, what was inside of these men? What was inside of these men? Let's remember, what, what is their pedigree? What is their resume? Most of these guys were blue-collar fishermen. One was a tax collector. One was a religious zealot. None of them, in and of themselves, could say, you know what, I have a pretty good resume. I think that I could be an agent of change for all of the world, for all of human history. They were not saying that. There's a lot of ways that, uh, good indication that, you know, some of these guys like Peter and John, they were just trying to figure out how to read and write still. But yet, God was choosing them to go and to change the world. Not because of anything of inside of them, but because who was he? Who was Jesus? He's the one that has all authority. And he's the one that's sending them. Uh, the book of Colossians uses the language that he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Church, that is the authority that I want to get behind. I don't want to get behind my authority. I don't want to get behind any gifting that I may think that I have. I want to get behind the authority and the power of Christ. So we have a call to worship. We have a call to look and remember and believe in the authority of Jesus. And those two things prime the pump in our lives for what's about to come. For what's about to come. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. It says, go therefore. This is the mission of the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is the mission of the church. Even though a church can do a lot of good things, and a church will do other things, but at the, the engine, the catalyst, the heartbeat of the church is this mission, is to go therefore and make disciples. Go because Christ has come. Go because Christ has sent you. Go because Christ has authority. And says, go and make disciples of all nations. So, so this is the mission of the church. Now, like any good mission, has two characteristics. You have to be sent somewhere, and you have, have to have a task to do. All missions incorporate at least those two things, that you're sent somewhere, and you have a task to do. That's exactly what we see in this text. So Jesus is giving these disciples, these chosen and sent ones, to go somewhere and to do something. It's the same thing he gives every Christian in every church. Now, in context, right, there was no Christians outside of Jerusalem really at this point. Right? Only the people, only these disciples and a few others had been witnesses to the power and the resurrection of Christ had been witnesses to what Jesus had done on the cross. And so Jesus instructed them, hey, you have to go and tell people about what I have done. You need to go make disciples of all nations. At this point, right, the gospel, that good news, was, was isolated in that part of the world. And Jesus is saying, it, but it's not just for that part of the world. I came for all of the world. All of the world. So he's sending them out to all nations. And I think for us as a church, we need to remember that's still our call for us. To go to all the nations. To tell every single person in this world the good news of what Jesus has done. The, the problem of sin. The problem of the upcoming death for each and every one of us outside of Christ needs to be talked about. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be preached. There are still thousands of people who have never heard of Christ. There's still thousands of people that don't know what he's done for them. I, I, there's a website called the Joshua Project that uh, basically puts a lot of this information together of where uh, different parts of the world are at when, uh, where it comes to, to mission and actually even knowing or having somebody in their country that knows the gospel or has been telling them the gospel. And I was looking at it this week, I was, I, was, I was floored because there's still so much work to be done. I think of a country like Bangladesh. It has about 164 million people. 164 million people. You know how many people in that country profess to have some kind of Christian identity? About 0.3% out of 164 million people. You guys could do the math of how many people that ends up being, but I just know it's not nearly enough. That many of these people are going to die in their sins today and spend eternity in hell because they don't know the gospel. They have not believed and trusted in Christ. And Jesus has given the church the mission to go and tell them, to go and tell them. There's also a ton of people groups that don't have any, any gospel witness, any Christian witness. And for many of those people, they are going to be born, 
They are going to live and they are going to die without ever hearing somebody other the name Jesus Christ. That terrifies me. That terrifies me, church. And I need, I need to, and we need to be a part of reaching these people. We need to be a part of the mission of God to reach these people with the gospel. It's why we support churches in India. Why we support a seminary in Croatia. Why we support um, an individual who's training pastors in China. It's because the need is so great. The need is so great. But the mission of God is not just over there, is it? It's not just in other parts of the world, even though that is. But it's also right here. It's also right here. And I think this is honestly where we have to start as a church, right? As, as, as a small but growing church. This is where we have to start. Is right here. Church, I pray. I pray that one day we would be able to send out people from this church. To go plant churches. To go be missionaries. And, and we're going to be working towards that as a church. But we have no business sending anybody abroad for the mission of God if we're not being faithful to the mission of God right here in Douglas County. And that is where I want us to, to focus. That's where our focus is right now. And I think the text even uh, commends that for us. Look at verse 19 again. That word go. When it says go therefore. It could also be translated as you go or as you are going. There's this idea that it's this, this, uh, this call that as, wherever you find yourself, Jesus is saying, make disciples. Make disciples. And so where have we been called, church? Where have we been called? Here, in this valley. It's not an accident. The Apostle Paul, uh, even he has a, a sermon in, in Acts, that's recorded in Acts 17, where he actually teaches that where you live is by no accident in the plan of God. Let me show you this from Acts 17, 26. This is, this is Paul talking, and he says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted place periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. See what Paul is saying there? He's saying that he's calling us to understand and see that God has appointed the very places and the times which you will live. The very seasons in which you will live there. That humbles me. That if God wanted me to live in this valley in the 1920s, he would have sent me to this valley in the 1920s. But that's not what he has done. He has sent me right here, right now, to be a part of this church, this family, for this mission of God. He's a lot of the very times and the boundaries to which I will be at. So I think practically, what, what do, how can we think about this? It means that, guess what? Where you live matters to God. That you have the neighbors in which you have because God has sent you there. That you have the co-workers that you have in your job is because God determined that you would have those co-workers. That you have the family, that you have the friends in which you have because God has allotted according to his perfect plan that you would be a Christian in their life right now. Right now. Nothing is by accident. Nothing is by accident. 
should humble us. That should humble us greatly. And so we have a mission. We have a mission to make disciples in this valley, in the place where we live right now. Church, we are surrounded by thousands and thousands and thousands of people that do not know Christ, that do not know the gospel, that may be outright rejected. But you know what's even scarier than that? It's the people in this valley that think they know him and don't. And think that they're Christians, think that they're followers of Christ, and they're not. And one day, they are going to stand before their judge. And he's going to say, who are you? Who are you? Church, what I'm trying to get at is I want us to walk out of here just knowing and believing and trusting that everything that surrounds our life has God's fingerprints all around it. And I want to be faithful to that. I want to be faithful to the God that has saved me and loved me and has called me to this time and this place right now. So how do we make disciples then, right? How do we actually do that? Well, let's think about the word disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is simply uh, a pupil or a follower of something. That is why at this church, I will often use the language that I want to be a church where uh, people follow Jesus at, right? You're a disciple of Jesus at, you're a follower of Jesus at, and you're helping other people follow Jesus at. That's the Great Commission. That's, that's the mission of the church, is to be a follower of Jesus and help other people do the same. So to make a disciple is to teach someone to follow Jesus. Now here in verse 19, it says that as you're making disciples of all nations, you're, you're called to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is getting at is one of the primary ways that we're making disciples or we're on part of the mission of God is we're seeing people come to faith. It's one of the central aspects of the mission of the church. Now, and, and hear me on this. So what that means is one of our goals is not to simply try to convince other Christians who are part of other churches to come here. That's not the mission of the church. Now, hear me on this, though. There are good, godly reasons to leave a church, right? Whether it's church doctrine or a, or a philosophy of ministry or, or maybe you're called to something else. There's good reasons to leave a church. So don't hear me saying that I'm, I'm upset at people leaving the church for godly reasons. But I know this from just pastoring in this valley for a little while, that there is a, a, a crazy sin that continues to happen is where Christians are simply hopping from church to church to church in Douglas County, not because of any of the godly reasons, but because simply their preferences are not being met or they get bored. Or they want to try something new. And so they leave their churches, I think, for ungodly reasons. And I don't, I don't want to be just another stop on the Douglas County church train. I don't. Now, and hear me on this too, is I know that many of the people, if not all of the people in this church right now, are made of people that have come from other churches, myself included. Myself included. I'm not anti 
moving churches for the glory of God. But I want to do that in a way that I am participating in the mission of God. And so we have a lot of work to do here. we got a lot of disciples to make. And so I want this group of people, this family, to be about the mission of God together. Right? It's that whole kind of church membership, church family, which I, I spoke about last week. That's what I desire to do. Jesus himself said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so if God is calling you to be a part of this church, know that this church is going to be on mission for the glory of God. And we are setting out to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now for some, how's that going to look like? Well, I know for a lot of our young moms in the room, we got young kids at home. You don't even have to leave your home to make disciples right now. God has entrusted those little souls to you so you could show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And you can make disciples right from your couch for God's glory. We need that. We need that. That's why I I try to encourage our young moms as much as I possibly can because they're on the front lines of the mission day in and day out. Uh, For others, this could look like you're preaching from a pulpit or maybe you're teaching in a classroom or you're teaching over uh, in a group just in a living room. Maybe you're having a cup of coffee and you're doing some counseling in a local coffee shop. Maybe you're just reading a book with somebody and discussing um, the implications that that has on what you believe and how you worship. Maybe it's just discussing a sermon with a friend. Maybe it's just being faithful to your groups, being faithful to the things that God has called you to be faithful. Maybe it's just being a hard worker at your job, knowing that it will, by God's grace, give you a platform to share and discuss why you follow Jesus. And you can begin that process of making a disciple. Because you're just showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus. So the call of making disciples is for all of us. It's not just me. It's not just the people who are serving in other parts of the country or across the world. It's for every single one of us. And it's also a call to be a disciple ourselves. You know that you never graduate from being a disciple, right? You never graduate like, I have perfected my knowledge and my growth in Christ, and I know exactly how to follow him, and I'm sinless in every way. That does not happen. That does not happen. And so I'd encourage you to continue your own walk, walking alongside somebody, Getting input, being humble, even if you've been a Christian for 50 years or longer. To continue to be asking and trying to understand and follow the God who saved you in just a life-joying, glorious way. But ultimately, there are no Christians on the sidelines when it comes to the mission of God. There's no Christians on the sidelines. We need all of us. You guys will be able to be in places and have relationship with people, workplace, family, friends that I will never have. I will never have. And that is because God has allotted and determined that you would have those for this day. For this day. Now, if you're not sure how that could look like or where to start in that journey, I'd be happy to sit down with you and and try to come up with a game plan. 
of how you could be a faithful follower of Christ yourself and how you could help other people do the same. Truth be told, we all need help in this, don't we? None of us, this comes naturally for us. And I'd be happy, and, I, and there's a, a number of good godly people here that will help you as well. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that is a danger for us as a church, that, that drift that I talked about at the beginning, that danger for us, for those of us who were, were maybe more prone to uh, being very serious about the Bible and theology, and we'd say, yeah, we know that the Great Commission is there. We know, we believe that theologically, but then what the danger is, then you assume, just because you believe it, that it's happening. That it's happening. Now, there's a brilliant theologian. His name is D.A. Carson. He wrote this from his observation over um, a few decades of Christian ministry of saying how easy it is for a church to drift off course in just a matter of a couple generations. This is what he says. I think I have a quote on that. Yeah. He says, one generation believes something. The next assumes it. And the third will forget it and deny it. And he was saying this in the context of how, how churches often close or completely uh, concede to everything in which the first generation believed. And usually those churches end up shutting their doors after only a few generations. And he says the reason is that, one of the reasons of that, is that a church can believe something and then assume that the next generation is doing the same. Or assume that it is actually happening. And I think that's where our danger is, church. Is I know probably every single one of us, if I would ask you, do you believe in the Great Commission? Do you believe in it? Do you believe that the church has been called to that? You would say, absolutely, 100%, Pastor. But are we actually doing it? Are we actually doing it? Or are we just assuming that we're doing it? Because we know of it intellectually. That's the danger, church. And I think it's helpful for us from time to time to just take a moment and look back and say, are we doing this? Are we doing the very thing in which God has called us to do? Or are we more preoccupied with bake sales and programs? Now hear me, I'm not against bake sales. I think some of you guys baked today. You brought some really good stuff. I'm not against bake sales unless people are more interested in that than the mission of God. They're more interested in that than the mission of the church. Or they're more interested in a program than they are in the mission of the church. See, see the, the drift that can happen? The church is called to do a lot of really good things, but one primary thing is the, the Great Commission, the mission of the church. Well, let's keep moving. So one of the most critical components to this mission is what we see at the end of verse 20. At the end of verse 20. So he calls them to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? That's going to take a while. Discipleship is not microwaved. And then he says this. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. That is so important when we talk about the mission of the church. Because whose job is it to save? Jesus' job is to save. He's the one who changed hearts. He's the one who calls people out of darkness into marvelous light. He's the one who makes us alive in God. And guess what? That person is going with you. That person is a part of the mission still. 
his, he's not handing off saying, hey, good luck with this. I know the world hates you. I know you, many of you might die for this. Right? All the disciples ended up dying for their faith. But no, he says, and he reassures them that I am going with you. Going with you. I think Jesus, or Peter, excuse me, I think he had these words echoing in his mind when he got up just a few days later to preach that Pentecost sermon when he saw 3,000 people get saved. You know why Peter got up? One who had been often harassed and, uh, you know, judged for his bad speaking abilities. Why would that guy get up and start talking about Christ in front of thousands and thousands of people? Is because Peter believed these words, that God, Jesus himself, was going with him. You see, because to know the most important person in your life is going with you will make all the difference. I could promise you that. Now, let me tell you a quick story just to end our time. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, my twins, they were about eight months old. Eight months old, Levi and Carly. You guys have probably met them. And they both uh, contracted, actually my whole family did, um, a respiratory virus called RSV. RSV, it's very common in little kids, unfortunately. And usually, uh, little kids are able to fight it and beat it without much intervention. Now, Levi, when he got this, this respiratory virus, it affected him, and, and he had to do some breathing treatments at home. But Carly, my little girl, she really struggled to breathe. She really struggled to breathe. So much that one night I called my mom in, in kind of a panic and said, I don't know what to do. And she said, you need to take her to the ER. You need to take her to the ER. So we went up there, right? Went up to Carson Tahoe to the ER. We got her in a room, and, and they're hooking her up to oxygen. She's eight months old, church. They're hooking her up to oxygen. She continues to not be able to breathe on her own very well. At this point, you could tell this from the staff, the doctors, and the nurses, and the, and the, the different texts that... Things were not going in a good direction. And I said, hey, we need to start planning to send her up to Reno, to send her to a pediatric hospital so she can get the treatment in which she needs to be able to have some of the specialists that are up there that are not at Carson. And you can imagine, this was, this was terrifying for me. It was terrifying for my wife. This was terrifying for her. And at first they were going to send a helicopter to come pick her up and and. I didn't really want that, mostly because there was not going to be anybody that could ride with her in the care flight back to Reno. And by God's grace, she kind of stabilized just enough where they felt like, hey, we can send an ambulance down and pick her up. And one of, your, one of the parents, one of the guardians can go with her. And so they sent an ambulance down. Carly began to get strapped to this gurney. And I... I cannot get the image of seeing an eight-month-old little girl strapped to a gurney out of my head. She, she couldn't talk at this point, but you could tell she had this fear in her eyes, this fear of the unknown, this fear of what was about to happen to her, the fear of where she was going. And I, there's not much I could do besides telling her, Carly, mommy's going with you. Mommy's going to be by your side. Mommy's going to be with you the whole way. And as much as it didn't change some of the heartache and some of the hardships that were in that moment, 
I think Carly got a little bit of security knowing that the greatest person in her life, her mom, which is pretty much still the most important person in her life today, was going with her, was going with her. And that's exactly what Gina did. That rest of that ambulance ride in those two weeks in ICU, that was really touch and go for a while. The most important person in her world was right by her side the whole time. Church, that is a small picture of what we have here at the end of the Great Commission. That the greatest person in our life, the greatest person that has all authority in the world, the greatest person that has already lived and died and has risen for us, has called us to go somewhere that's scary. I don't, sometimes when I think about the, the mission of the church, I can get overwhelmed. But when I read the end of Jesus' words that he is going with me, I go. I go. Because he has all authority. Because he has all power. And I can trust him. Church, that is what we have in Christ. That is what we are called to do as a church. Is we're called to go make disciples. To go teach people what it looks like to follow Christ. To do that ourselves and help other people do the same. But never forget that Jesus is going to be with us every step of the way. So if you feel inadequate for this, like I do, remember the one who's going with you. And that will make all the difference in the world. That is what we believe. That is the mission of the church. And that is what I want to be committed to as a church. The things that matter, the things that will impact all of eternity, that is what I want to be committed to for his glory and my joy. And so let's trust him. Let's trust him in that. Let's be committed to that as a church, to the mission of God as a church. Let's get to work because Christ is going with us. Let's pray, church. Well, Father, as we end our time in your word, I want to just thank you. Thank you for calling us not just to sit on our couch and waste our life away, to take a life that which you have saved in this world, in this community, with the friends and family and the coworkers that we have for a reason. That you've called us. You have set us apart and you're sending us for your mission. A mission that ultimately cannot fail in you. And so we rest in that. And God, I pray that you would encourage each and every person in the room this morning to maybe begin that journey of participating in the mission of the church. To get off the sidelines. To get involved. And God, for those that, that don't know you, God, I, I pray that the only way that they'll ever desire any of this is if they know you and have believed and have worshipped you. Doubts and all. That they would trust and believe in you above all. And so God, we ask all of these things in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, church, what I want to do is we want to uh, sing one more song. We're going to do a doxology and then we'll, we'll get to all the, the rest of the fun activities that we have for this afternoon. But one of the next hymn that we're going to sing is called A Mighty Fortress. Many of you guys know this. But I want to remind us that this was written by that great reformer, Martin Luther. 
who in the 1500s wanted desperately to be a part of the mission of God and wanted desperately to follow Jesus and help other people do the same in so much that he took radical steps against a Catholic church that hated him for trying to bring to light what the scriptures teach. But he felt so compelled and so called to the mission of God that he was saying, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to do it all. But I'm going to do it knowing that Jesus is going with me. And he is a mighty fortress who I can take refuge in. So let's go and stand together and let's sing a mighty fortress together.